So you may have already figured out what we're gonna what we're gonna talk about today. Giving you some hints and some clues. Um, but I just I really felt like God started laying this on my heart like several weeks ago. And I don't know if it was just have to do with us starting to learn that song as a worship team or or what it was, but God started laying some stuff on my heart and I've been kinda holding off and then as it does it changes and from what it was to what it is now. And so um maybe a little different than we normally do because I'm I'm gonna I need to read you the bulk of a story. So we're not gonna turn around to a hundred different places. We're we're gonna be like one or two places in your Bible today, but part of it's gonna be reading you the story. So um and I was reading it in King James, but I switched it this morning, so I'm going to read it to you in NIV because it reads a little smoother for you. But I I just really want you to put on your ears today and really listen for you. Like I know normally we come in and we listen for our spouse, but today listen for you, right? (laughs) Because I believe God's going to do something and I believe God's going to set some people free if we listen and we focus so So today I'm going to talk to you about being a giant killer. And first of all, you need to know it's in you. It is in you to be a giant killer. Who, me? Yeah, you. Everybody I'm talking to. It's inside of you to be a giant killer. But you've got to make a decision to take the kill shot. Right? Somebody else can't do it for you. I'm sorry to tell you, but your mama and your grandma, they can't, they can't take the kill shot for you. It's got to be no assist. You got to go for the jugular. People can't do it for you. You know, I'm sure you have. But like when we watch movies at the house, and you know how if there's a bad guy, and he's trying to hurt people or he's trying to do something bad and they knock him down and then they just turn their back and walk away or run away and I don't know if y'all do but we're saying like kill him hit him again don't walk away take his gun like all and then they walk away and of course the bad guy gets up and then grabs their kid or grabs up and hits him in the back of the head or shoots him and it's like why didn't you finish the job Bro, you knocked him down. And I know they write it into movies like that because it's dramatic, but. But we do that with the giants in our life or the giants in our flesh. Even sometimes a lot of good Christians realize, hey, this is a big problem in my life and, and we fight it enough to knock it down. We fight it enough to, for it to take a knee, and we're like, okay, it's manageable now. Hey, cool, I can work now. I'm a functioning addict. I'm a functioning fill-in-the-blank, right? Because I knocked it down. The problem is, I'm getting off my notes and I'm sharing one of my points and I hadn't read yet, so I'm going to go back to my notes before I, before I jump the gun on this. You got to go for the jugular. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of fighting that thing? 
nine years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. Let's kill this bad boy and move on to the next one. And I'm talking to all of us because every one of us have giants in our lives and they all look different. What's a giant? It, man, it could be there are giants of marital problems. There are giants of financial issues. There's giants of fear. There's giants of worry. There's giants of depression, giants of anger. There's giants of alcohol. There's giants of your DOC, drug of choice. I mean, we won't just list them all, but there's all types of addictions. And there's a big, ugly giant of pornography. There are giants of gossip that have little kids named bitterness and unforgiveness. There's, there's giants of hate and racism. A giant is the thing that stops you from being who you're supposed to be. You see, it's the thing that goes against what God says. We're about to see. Old Goliath was going against what God said. Well, I hope he's listening to this. Hope she hears this one. Anybody that thought anything like that while I was saying it, it's for you. For sure. This is for you. Don't think about somebody else. Actually, while I'm on that, imagine how sad it would be if you let somebody else's giant keep you and your family from freedom. It happens every day. It happens in the church. It happens in the world that you let somebody else's giant rob your freedom. Somebody else gets defeated by their giant and you get so hung up on what they did that you don't walk in freedom and that becomes your giant and it wasn't even your giant. He's defeating you. I don't want someone else's giant to come in and rob me of my freedom and my family. But it happens. So I'm going to give you the rules. I'm going to give you a pattern, if you will. The pattern of a giant killer. We're going to look to a familiar story, but we're going to see some things that that's fresh revelation. So don't just tune out because you think I've already heard this story. Because we're going to see some, some good stuff here. I'm going to just start reading to you and... In 1 Samuel 17, and it's the story of David and Goliath. And this is after, just to put it in context for you, it's after David was anointed king of Israel. But nobody knew it yet except for his dad and his brothers. And David went back to work for his dad, serving, keeping the sheep, working for his dad until what God said came to pass. All right, and, and just in the interest of time, I won't read you all of it, but... Go back and read it. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17. It starts out talking about the battle. And then verses uh, 4 through 7, they tell us all about the giant. It gives us every detail about Goliath. Like it's one of the most detailed descriptions in our Bible is of Goliath. 
They tell us how tall the joker is. They tell us about his armor, what kind of armor he had, how much his spearhead weighed, how big it was that he had an armor bearer, that he had all about him. It tells us where he was from. It tells us his name. It tells us his weight, his uh, the weight of all of his stuff. It gives us all of Goliath's measurements. That's going to be important in a minute. We're going to start reading in verse 16. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening, and he took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son, Jesse's David's father, said to his son David, Take this ephod of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. And take along these ten cheeses to the commanders of their unit. The commander of their unit. And see how your brothers are. And bring back some assurance for them. There with Saul and all the men in Israel in the valley of Elah. Fighting against the Philistine. So right there. I'm going to give you eight things that a giant slayer does. Don't worry. They're going to go pretty quick, most of them. And right there in the start, that's the first one. David was under authority. That's the first one in the pattern of a giant slayer. And, and as I think about it and as I study on it and as I look at biblical examples and I think about it in my life of people I know, I can't think of or find a giant slayer that is not submitted to authority that does not have somebody over them, doesn't have somebody in their life that they respect enough to listen to. Somebody that could call them out. I can't think, I can't find a giant slayer that is not under authority. You remember when, uh, when Jesus, you know, it probably made the disciples and a lot of the Jewish people around a little bit upset when the centurion came to Jesus and was like, I'm a man over people, and I'm a man under people, and you just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus, that's the only, there's only one of two places that we see in the Bible that Jesus was amazed, and it says Jesus was amazed by his faith, and he wasn't even a Jew. Like, he wasn't even one of their, um, this was a centurion, a Roman soldier, and Jesus was amazed by his faith. And, and there aren't many reasons the main the thing we know about this guy was he knew how to submit to authority and he knew how to lead he knew how to have people under him and do well like most people are really good at leading but they can't submit or follow good and then some people are really good at submitting and following but they're not good leaders we should be able to do both. And definitely, if we're going to slay the giants, if you want to be a giant slayer, better learn how to be under authority. David was still under his dad's authority. You know what David could have said? Bro, I'm busy. I'm trying to practice the harp and the sling out here. And by the way, I was anointed king. Don't you remember when Samuel came to the house and you thought it was going to be one of my brothers and he said no and God, the God of Israel said it was me. I'm the man. So I got an idea, Pops. How about you load up the mule 
because you're probably too old to carry it. And you go on and take my brother something because they're jerks to me anyways. I ain't going to check on them. What I mean, and he could have been that way. Right? He was anointed king. But David wasn't like that. He was still serving. You keeping the sheep was like the job nobody wanted. And he went right back to it after he got anointed. And God said, you're going to be the most powerful man in the nation. And he said, all right, cool. What you want me to do next, daddy? I'm going to keep working until it comes to pass. And so his dad says, hey, I want you to take the day off tomorrow. Find somebody to keep the sheep. And I want you to go to your brothers. And he said, yes, sir. You got it. Number one, stay under authority. Verse 20 says, Early, early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up, and he set out. As Jesse had directed. And he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions. Notice that. As the army was going out to their battle positions, these would have been trenches, foxholes, where they weren't actually fighting. We know they were held up. This would have been the 40th day they were held up without fighting. And they were just, they would get up and shout the battle cry. And they would go out and they would take their positions and they would put up their shields and hide. And the Philistines would do the same thing. So David rolls up right when he hears them shouting. And they're rolling out to take their positions as if they were going to fight. But they were all barking, no bite. Sound like anybody you know? Take your position as if you're going to slay the enemy to drop the giant, but you never really do anything. So David pulls up and he hears the battle cry, and, and they all they go out and they take their positions, and David's probably getting pumped. Yes, I get to see a fight, because they didn't have TV or anything, and this was going to be some real live action, an action movie, and he could see if his brothers were really as good as they say they are, if they were just talking. His older brother, we know he was tall and he looked like a king and probably a good warrior. So, um, He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. And David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and ran to the battle lines. And greeted his brothers. Like, hey, hurry up. Here, hold this stuff. Hold this cheese. Here, here's my cart. And he leaves it with the keeper. And he takes off running, not just walking to see, timidly looking around. He runs where? To the battle lines. The little brother. He's not scared. So I'm going to give you the second one right there. I'll stop and give you the second one. Discipline. He got up early. In the morning, headed straight there. It was obedience, but David had discipline. You want to be a giant slayer? It's going to take some discipline. Right? You have to get discipline. You sit here and say, oh man, I want to pray more. Well, are you going to? It would take discipline. Yeah, but I work all day. Yeah, that means you got to set your clock a little bit earlier and you sacrifice a little bit of sleep. That's 
called discipline because it's important enough for you to do that. But without discipline, you don't slay giants. See, it says that David got up early in the morning, so this would have been an off day for him, which wouldn't have rolled around very often. You're the keeper of the sheep. The sheep don't take days off, so neither do you. So David was getting an off day from his dad to go and take this stuff to his brothers, so he didn't have to get up early in the morning. He could have just slept in and took his brothers some cheese and stuff for lunch. But he got up early. And also, we know what he's about to do with the sling. That takes discipline. And to get, if you go do some research and looking into it, when David slings that rock, for him to have hit in the helmet, the crack in the brass helmet of Goliath, they say would have been one to three inches wide. So David had to have a good enough aim to where he could sling that thing in, you know, that's my, maybe only one inch wide. The widest it would have been would have been three inches wide. All right, so he could throw a rock 120 miles an hour and hit a target that small. So to get that good with the sling, it would have taken literally thousands of hours of practice. And they say to master something, you have to practice for 10,000 hours to be a professional, and David was considered a professional with the sling. You know what that takes? Discipline. While he's out there working with the sheep, he's practicing. He probably hit every fence post around. Windows, whatever. Dinged up his daddy's pickup truck. It takes discipline to be a giant slayer. That's number two. And he ran. Verse 23 says, And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and he shouted his usual defiance and David heard it and when the Israelites saw the man they all ran from him in great fear but to them this had been going on for 40 days oh here he comes and they all run away Ah! now the Israelites had been saying do you see how this man keeps coming out Saying it to who? They all knew. They've all been there for 40 days. David's the only one. David's the new guy that just showed up. So they're telling David what's going on. You see how he keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. He's insulting us. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. So, they're telling him, look, if anybody can kill this dude, you're going to get to marry the king's daughter, and she's fine. And you're going to be rich, and you and your family don't ever have to pay taxes again, forever. At this point, I don't even think David prayed about it. He just said, I got it. Maybe, I don't know. Let's keep reading, and then we're going to talk about that a little bit. David, exempt from his father's house, taxes Israel. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
and they repeated to him what they had been saying. And they told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. So he already heard it one time. And then we see right there, David said, hey, hold up. Tell me again. If somebody kills him, what do they get? They said, oh, tell him again. Okay, you get to marry the king's daughter. All right, you get to, you're going to be rich and have all these riches, and you and your family will never have to pay taxes again. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him, and he asked him, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? You're just a little shepherd. Why are you here? Those few sheep that you've been entrusted with, that was an insult. Like you can't handle a lot. He, his brother was, he was mad that he was there. It's like if we're down here playing softball and we're getting whooped in a tournament and Malachi and Titus are both playing and they come into the dugout and they're upset because we're getting whooped and, and Sky comes running up with a Gatorade that Jesse sent down for all of them and then start saying, why are y'all letting him, why are y'all letting them beat y'all? I could beat them. Titus will, I was about to say Malachi because this one's talking about the older brother, but uh, Titus will burn with anger if Sky comes in there acting like that. <laughs> Bro, we're the ones that have been out here playing this team. Where do you think you came from? Aren't you supposed to be back out there playing on the playground with your little buddies? Get out of here. I said, most older brothers is just. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Your heart's in the wrong place. You came down only to watch the battle. You just came here to watch and rub our noses in the fact that we're getting intimidated. Get out of here. Now, what have I done? This is David. Said David, can't I even speak? Doesn't matter what I say. They'd lose it. They'd just get mad. Yeah, sounds about right. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. He gets in an argument with his brothers, gets done arguing with his brothers, turns around and says, hey, tell me about the reward again they get to marry his daughter and they're rich and they don't have to pay taxes they're like bro you've heard it three times David keep that's the third time and I know I've heard this story and read this story a bunch but until I started studying it this time I'm thinking I never realized that David was obsessed with finding out wait what was the reward hey man tell me the prize again Wait, what was it? What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been a fighting man 
from his youth or since he was a boy. Saul said, you're crazy. Your brother's right. You're a little boy. And he's been trained for war since he was a little boy. Like I've read the scouting report and you don't even belong on the same field as him, man. Stop running your mouth. Stop asking people what the reward was. This is what Saul said to him. You know, life's about choices. I feel like that's come up a good bit lately. And Charles Swindoll says, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% our response. And can I tell you that we don't always choose our fights. But there are moments that we must choose to fight. Right? You may not always choose your giant might show up because of something somebody else did or it might show it might be unexpected or it might be something you would never pick you'd never wish you wouldn't seek it out but there it is david didn't come there to fight a giant right david came to bring cheese and stuff and check out the war and see a little action and make sure his brothers were okay and go home that was the plan he didn't come there to get famous and kill a giant and get a hot wife that wasn't his plan But there are moments in life where you have to choose to fight. We can't choose our storms. But we can choose what we focus on in the storm. Or what we trust. You don't choose your giant. It usually chooses you. But like David told Saul, don't let your heart fail. Focus. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. And I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. And I struck it and I killed it. David's a bad boy. I'd have just let that sheep go. When a lion grabbed it and took off, he chased it down, struck it, got the sheep from it. Then the lion turned on him. He grabbed it by the beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Number three. Third thing. You want to kill the giants. You want to be a giant slayer. The third one is you got to be the same in the dark as you are in the light. Right? David was on a huge stage in front of the king and everybody when he killed Goliath. But nobody was around and nobody even knew about that lion and bear. Right? He killed them when he was on his own and nobody was watching. He practiced that sling when nobody was watching. He practiced that kill shot when nobody was around. Right? You you don't just wait until the giant's there and step up and learn how to fight. 
you'll lose. You can't just run in church and, yay, whoo, ha, ha. And when it's only you out by yourself, you're looking at things and doing things and talking, saying things you don't need to say. All this stuff, like, you're two different people. You're not the same. David said, hey, when nobody was watching, I was already doing this. It's not a problem. It's not going to be a problem at all. Like, you get what I'm saying because I think this point is huge. I meant like if you go to Walmart and some lady comes in with a King James blouse on, you know, lo and behold, you have the ability to <laughs> bounce your eyes because you've been beating giants when you're alone. You hadn't been looking at pornography. So when you're out in public and something happens or you're tempted to do something you shouldn't do, you've already been slaying these little perversion giants that popped up in the dark when nobody was looking. That's character. So when the big one shows up and you're tempted, it's no problem. Right? I already beat this thing when it was little. I beat this thing by myself. It ain't a problem now that it's big. And you beat it. Number three, you want to be a giant slayer. You got to be the same in the dark as you are in the light. You still have integrity when nobody's looking. And Saul said to David, Okay, go. And the Lord be with you. All right, good speech. You convinced me. You can do it. Go. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David was fastened with his sword over the tunic, and he tried walking around because he was not used to them. Saul said, here, put on my armor. This is what we do. This is what we wear. And here, put it on. And David tried to walk around, and he's like, I can't. And I can't even move in this. I can't walk around in this armor and this sword. Well, from Saul's standpoint, that's how we do it. That's how it's done. That's how we do church. That's how we do ministry. That's how we do business. That's how, this is it. This is how you have to do it. Right? So put this on. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Why five? Like We know he's about to kill him with the first shot. Why to get five? I heard all kind of cool messages on this. Five is the number of grace. And grace, like I've heard that one, and I've heard a message about how Goliath had four brothers, and so in case his family showed up, he was going to kill them all. And I, that was a cool message too. And I, but I think from all of his practice out in the field, he knew he had never missed that target that small more than five times. 
<laughs> He's like, if it's all if I miss, I got five shots. I'm not only giving myself one try because I might mess up. That's okay, I got another one. I'm not going to give up because I messed up. See, some people just give up because they messed up. David said, there's the perfect rock that's going to kill him. But just in case it doesn't, I'm going to find another perfect rock. And you know, just in case that second one doesn't work, I'm going to find another perfect rock. And he got five of them. He wasn't planning on giving up. And if I got a little extra in the tank, cool. Great. I'm not going to run out there in front of my giant and not have what I need in my pouch. You filling yourself up before the battle, before you run out to the giant? Are you, are you filling up your pouch or you running out there with nothing in your pouch? And guess what? You're going to get beat every time. You're running out there with one rock. Well, all it takes is one mistake, one stumble, one failure. We're humans. We're going to make mistakes. You make a mistake. Guess what? Giant's going to whoop you again because you're not filling up before you get to the battle. You're not coming in full. David got five stones. He said, yeah, that'll do it. Then what? Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and he saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. And I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. And today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine. The carcasses, more than one. It's plural. He said, today I'm going to give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beast of the earth. This joker wasn't just talking trash that I'm about to kill you. He said, today I'm going to kill your whole army, son. It's over for you. We're going to feed your whole army to the buzzards. To the birds of the air. To the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered will know that it is not only by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And He will give all of you unto our hands you see the deal was that if Goliath won this was his challenge if he won that all the Israelites would be their slaves and they could do whatever they wanted to him and if the Israel the Israelite champion won that the Philistines would be their slaves and they could do whatever they wanted to them do you know that if you don't figure out how to beat that giant in your life 
it's not only going to make you its slave, but it's going to make your brothers and your kids and your body and the people that you're connected to, it's going to make them all its slave. But on the other hand, if you could figure out how to beat it, it has no power. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, what David do? David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. David's sprinting at this guy, running towards him. He wasn't walking timidly or thinking that. He, he just took off running at him. He got his rocks. He said, here we go. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it. And he struck the Philistine on the forehead. And a stone sank into his forehead. And he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Now... He hit him in the head, and he dropped him, right? Now, we're about to see, and we know that he goes and takes a sword. He takes Goliath's sword, and he cuts his head off. But, you know, he may not have been dead from that stone hit. It might have just knocked him out. Chances are he wasn't dead. He'd probably take a lot, big old dude. He, he may have just been knocked out. Do you know if David didn't go cut off his head or take his authority, that's why they would cut off the king's head or the warrior's heads that they would defeat because it's, it's a symbol that you've taken their authority and now you have the power. Any power that they had, you have because you hold their head. You now hold the authority. So, so it was a symbol and a sign. But also, like I was saying in the movie, David was like, nah, he might not be dead. I'm gonna go ahead and finish this thing. Do you know that if you don't go ahead and finish it, when you drop your giant and you just turn around and walk away, like in the movie, and he gets back up, not only is he still alive, not only is he coming back after you, but now it's going to be even harder for you to, to kill him because guess what? Now he knows how you fight. Now he done went back to the welder and got him a three-inch piece of bronze and welded it over that little hole because now he knows you're slinging a rock at his forehead so now you're probably going to need a counselor and a pastor and a good strong brother or sister to hold you accountable why because you didn't kill it the first time you didn't cut off the head you knocked it down but then you just turned around walked away and it got back up and it's coming behind you because you didn't end it now he knows how you fight now he knows your plan without a sword in his hand he struck down the Philistine and he killed him and David ran David just running Remember, he ran to the battle lines to see his brothers and he ran to meet Goliath at the line and now he dropped him with the rock and he ran over there to him David ran Giant slayers run. If you want to be a giant slayer, you got to run. Not just from the bad stuff. I feel like we got that down pretty good. You know you need to run to good stuff. You need to run to purpose. And 
depending on your perspective, the fight could be a good thing or a bad thing. You got to run. You got to run to it. See, if you just stay away from all the bad stuff, then you're going to be a pretty bored Christian. Well, I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't go there, and I, I don't go here, and, and I don't say that, and I don't watch that, and I don't talk. And, and all the don'ts, cool, cool, cool. That's good. All that stuff's good. But don't tell me all your do nots. Tell me what you're running to. All right, cool, cool, cool. You don't do all that. Right, all right, good. What are you doing? Because remember, James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Like, you can look at my life, you can look at the things that I do, and you can see my faith in God. Not for salvation and not to make God love me anymore, because that's impossible. But because I am loved, out of my being and knowing who I am, I do. So, cool. All right, awesome. That's what you're not going to do, but what are you doing? Tell, Tell me what you're doing. What are you running to? Tell me about some of the recent battles that you've won. On behalf of humanity, on behalf of your people, what have you done to help? Tell me what you've done. We run too as giant slayers. When I was uh, when I was training for brawl for cause, believe it or not, two years ago I was in the best shape of my life, right? And so I was doing a ton of cardio. And I was doing a ton of running because I had had a lot of weight to lose. So I was jumping on the treadmill at the gym like every day and running. And of course, at first, it, I couldn't run that long or very much. And the more I ran, the better I got, the better my cardio got. The more boxing training I did, the, the better my cardio got. So the longer I could run. The particular treadmill, I'm a creature of habit. So I tried to get on the same treadmill every single time I went in the gym. And just, you know, you get a routine and a habit going. And and that treadmill would go up to 12.5 miles an hour, right? And so for a while, that was like a goal that was up here, like, hey, 12.5, not getting that yet. But closer to the fight, my cardio got good enough. I got in good enough shape. I could jump on that bad boy and put it all the way up as fast as it would go and just run it. 12.5 and just run at 12.5 for the interval training. So I could just stay on there and run for... It was a minute at a time and then bumped up to two minutes at a time. And then I was thinking, man, I wish this thing would go faster. I want to see how fast I could run. I want to see if I could, you know, push myself to failure and it won't go that fast. Now, right now, if I stepped on there, I could push myself to failure pretty quick. Why? Because I haven't been running. You take somebody like Tristan, I was going to use him as an example, but I don't see him. Oh, he must be in class. He's in He's in kid space today. Tristan's running cross country for college. So he's training all the time and running all the time. So guess what? He can run a lot further than me. He can run, get somewhere a lot faster than me, cover a lot more ground than me. We ran a 5K at Jesus Jam and I ran in it. And Tristan won first place overall and I was 87. I don't even know where I was. I was like way, way, way down there. And so I just want, I say that to to make you think about this. At the 5K at Jesus Jam a couple months ago, me and Tristan covered the same amount of ground. We did the same thing and it hurt me. 
and, and I was sore for like a few days and I was out of breath and I was like almost dehydrated and had to go sit down and like, and then I, all my muscles are sore and hurting and, and we covered the same amount of ground and Tristan wasn't even sore after that because he's been running a lot and I haven't. Notice how David ran. David ran everywhere. He ran up to see what his brothers were doing. He ran down to meet the giant. He, he dropped the giant. He ran to go grab his sword. David, David's running all over the place. So run. Giant slayers run. And the more you run, the easier it gets. The more you run, the more ground you can cover. The more giants you slay, the more powerful run stood over him and he took hold of the Philistine sword and he drew it from the scabbard after he killed him he cut off his head with the sword and when the Philistines saw their hero was dead they turned and ran if you run then the things that were stopping you, the things that had you held up, the things that you couldn't figure out how you were ever going to get past, you're going to realize they start running. You got to run. And then the men of Israel and Judah, they surged forward with a shout. And they pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and unto the gates of Ekron. And their dead were strewn along the Sherem road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. And David took the Philistines' head and he brought it to Jerusalem and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. David took all of his weapons and his head. And as Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? And Abner replied, as surely as you live, O king, I do not know. And the king said, find out whose son this young man is. And as soon as David returned from killing, I want you to see this. Returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. He's carrying it around with him. He held that thing up and everybody came out of the foxholes and the trenches. They came up out and they ran with a shout. They were screaming and shouting and running and killing and winning. And David's lugging his head around. The giant was nine and a half feet tall. It probably had a big old head. And David was a teenage boy. And David's running around carrying this thing. Even when Saul calls him, hey man, the king wants to see you. And it tells us right there, Joker still had the head in his hand king wants to see me all right <laughs> hey king remember a couple of hours ago when you said i'm a boy and he's been a warrior since he was a boy david was carrying that head swinging that thing around david's still holding the head and asked him whose son he was and he said jesse's son so that's the story of David and Goliath. I'm going to give you the rest, of the, the rest of the pattern. And then I'm going to call the worship team back up and we're going to end by singing that song. And I believe some people's giants are going to fall today. 
So I gave you, you got to be under authority. You got to be disciplined. You got to be the same in the dark as you are in the light or the same when you're alone as when you're in front of people. The fourth one is a shout or a praise. See, David had a praise. David shouted. And after David won, it said all of the men shouted. They came up out of hiding. They came up from the low place and they shouted. And that's when they saw the victory. They came up and they shouted. Do you know if you shout um, after a victory, it's gratitude. Right? If you shout or praise or worship after the giant's been slain, that's gratitude and that's good and that's awesome. But if you shout before the giant's been killed, that's faith. It matters when you shout. Shout before and it's faith. Now, I'm not saying don't shout afterwards. Yeah, go ahead and shout afterwards too. It's like have some gratitude, but shout before he falls. That's what David was doing where we just read it when David was saying, I serve the God of the angel armies. You can come, like, you can say what you want to say about me, you uncircumcised Philistine, but he was praising God. He was magnifying God. He was shifting focus off of the giant and back on to God. So we shout, we praise number five. Giant slayers, you got to figure this one out. And this one's kind of difficult. You got to be you. Saul put all this armor on David, and it's how everybody had always done it, and it's what you should do. And a sword is a better weapon than a little sling. And you know, like, it made sense to what we've always done, but David would have lost if he would have waddled down the hill in Saul's armor. He would have died. He wouldn't have become the king. Like they wouldn't have won the victory. They wouldn't have, they would all become slaves to the Philistines. David said, No, I can't wear this. It's not me. And it's real easy, and, and I've dealt with this one a lot. Like it's real easy to look at everybody else. Right? Okay, God, you want me to be a preacher. Well, it's real easy for me to compare myself to all these other great preachers, and I can never be them. Because I'm not comfortable in their armor. I, I love Bruce Dill, and I love it when he preaches, and I, he's a spiritual father in my life. I would consider him my pastor. But guess what? I'm a lousy Bruce. I can't be him. I don't want to be him. I'm not called to be him. Right? I'm not supposed to try to make myself look like, preach like, talk like, act like him. That's not what God called me to do. And if I do that, my giant's going to knock me on my butt. Just like Goliath would have knocked David down when, if he ran down there in Saul's armor. See, God gave David the specific skill set and talents and gifting to kill the giant that was in David's life. 
the same is true for you. It's in you. Uh, victory is inside of you, but you got to be you. You got to be comfortable with who God created you to be and what God's called you to do and your purpose and, and, and know who you are and be okay being you. Don't go to the fight trying to act like somebody else. You got to be you. Giant slayers, they figure out how to be comfortable in their own skin and good at what God called them to be good at, not what everybody else is good at. You got to be you. See, I'm supposed to be the pastor of this church. I am. I'm not supposed to. I am supposed to be, and I also am. Right? And so last night, when we were going all day to a graduation and stuff, and I was up, I came here and I was up in my office working on this message and writing down notes and changing some things and stuff like that because that's what I'm called to do and that's what I'm supposed to be up there doing. I was being me. Guess what? At the same time I was up there, Brad was down here working on the prayer room. And a couple times I heard a chop saw going on the front porch and he was doing some last minute things and working down here. Guess what? He was doing what he was supposed to be. So if I came down here and I tried to do that and wear the armor that Brad was supposed to be wearing last night and then I wouldn't have had the message ready for y'all this morning. Or if Brad came and sat up there beside me in my office and was like, hey man, you want me to help you write down some notes? I would have been kind of aggravated, like, no, Brad, not, no, I don't need you to help me write down notes. Like, you don't know what I'm thinking or where I'm going with this. And, like, we probably would have gotten irritated with each other, right? Because if he was trying to be me or if I was trying to be him, it didn't work. But now we got some awesome stuff done in the prayer room, and I got the message done. But we have to know what God's called us to do and know what we're good at and be comfortable with that. And know that it all works together. It's all puzzle pieces. All right, number six. Here's a big one. And I've already hit on it a bunch of times already. I'm sure you've picked up on it. Number six is focus. David focused on God. He kept redirecting his focus to God when he talked to Saul, when he talked to Goliath, when he talked to the brother. He kept saying, what? We're letting him defy God, the God of the angel armies, the God of Israel. The God. He, he kept redirecting his focus to God. And, and I've seen that before. I probably already knew that. But remember what I read you a few minutes ago? David also focused on the prize. Three different times it was recorded and, and there may have been more, but three different times, remember David kept saying, remind me what that prize was again. Remind me what the prize was again. It's really natural to focus on the giant as humans. It's really natural to focus on the problem, the big thing in the room, the addiction, the whatever it is. It's, it's natural to focus on that. And, and I think that's why, you know, humans wrote the Bible. So that's why we have all this information about Goliath about every weapon he had, about how tall he was, about how much it weighed. We got all Goliath's measurements. When really we needed like King Saul's daughter's measurements. Like David was like focused on the prize, not the giant. Right? David kept telling him, telling him, hey, but what was the prize? But the giant's huge. What was the prize? 
we got to focus on God. And it's okay to focus on the prize. Right? Paul talks about it. Run to win. Don't, don't just run the race. Run to win. Chase your purpose. Get all that God has for you. Giants don't just leave. He was there for 40 days. They're, they're not going away if you just ignore them or you try to forget about them. They mean to enslave you. And if you don't kill them, they'll come back. Like we said a few minutes, like I said a few minutes ago, they'll, they'll come back and they'll know how you fight. It's natural to focus on the giant and on his strength, his weapons, his, his threats, how many times you've messed up, how many times he's beat you, how many times he's gotten you, how he's trained since he was a little kid. It's easy to focus on the giant. But all that does is makes him bigger. Also notice that giants want to get you alone. Goliath said, send somebody down here by himself. Just me and him. See, all of Israel's army, they could have fought with the Philistines. But neither of them were attacking because there wasn't a sure winner or a stronger army. That's the only reason they would have been held up for 40 days. If one of them was bigger or stronger or knew they could take the other one, they would have attacked. They wouldn't have just been sitting there held up. Either way, the Philistines didn't think they could take Israel, and Israel didn't think they could take the Philistines. That tells me they were pretty equally matched, right? Because you wouldn't have sat there that long. If you thought you had an edge or that you could win, you would have attacked. So at the end, David drops Goliath, and they all come out running shouting, cheering, and they just completely destroy and slaughter the Philistines all the way back to their hometown. And, and we read it just a minute ago, but they slaughtered them and killed them all the way back to Ekron. Ekron means total eradication. They shouted and then they began to pursue the enemy. Eradication means the complete destruction of something so what gave this scared army the confidence and the ability to pursue their champion so I ask you today what's the theme of your life what are you focused on what are you what is it that you're you're looking at What's the voice that you're listening to because it was the same army? And you telling me from killing one guy, now we were an evenly matched army and we killed one little boy showed up that wasn't even in our army and he killed one guy and now our army can whoop your army. No. Change their focus. Uh, they were reminded how big God was. Their, their focus changed. And then they shouted, it was mid-afternoon, 1982, at Badger Stadium. The stadium was filled with 60,000 fans, packed out. And they were watching the home team play Michigan State Spartans. But even with a home-field advantage, it became obvious very quick that the Badgers were not going to win. At home, in front of all those fans, the Michigan State Spartans were whooping their tail. 
fumbles and running the ball back and just, I'm talking about whooping them. But something really weird happened that day. And the worse that the Badgers did, the more the fans cheered. And coaches were getting kind of irritated about it. And even the Badgers players were like, what in the world's going on with the fans? How come our fans are going crazy? And it seemed like as the game went on, they got worse and worse, and they were getting beat worse and worse by the Spartans. And the, the dumb fans kept cheering louder and louder. There was just spontaneous burst of cheering. Yeah, they start a wave up in the crowd. Like, and they're like, what in the world? Now, y'all are thinking this is going to be an awesome story because he's going to say since the fans started shouting and cheering, they came back and went, no, they got destroyed. <laughs> they got their tails whipped. But when they found out why that was happening, you see, it so happened that 70 miles away, the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in Game 4 of the 1982 World Series on October 16th. And all the people in the stands had little transistor radios up to their ears listening to the World Series where their team was winning. So even though they were looking at defeat, even though they were looking at total failure and defeat, they were hearing victory and cheering because their team was winning. And guess what? The World Series was a whole lot more important of game than that regular season college football game for their little college. The World Series was going on and their team was winning. See, even though defeat is what they saw and what was in front of them. They were listening to victory. In 2 Samuel 5, 17, I won't, I won't turn there, but it's, it's when David finally gets anointed king and all the Philistines hear about it and they're like, oh no, the little giant killer is now a grown man and a warrior. And the Philistines actually got really scared and it says all the Philistines showed up to stop it to kill him to make sure like if we let this man get in charge right he was a terror as a little teenage boy and now he's been anointed king now he's got armies backing him up and the palace in Jerusalem so all the Philistines showed up and David prayed and said God can I go up against them and God said go ahead take them kick their butts and he did and then they came back more and he prayed again and God said take them again so he went and and whoops them all again so what's the point? When you're ready to step into your anointing, your authority, your enemy will be terrified. You see, when you were under authority, like David was when he was a boy, like we just talked about, you're under authority, you killed their champion. But now that you are in authority, you can end it. You must be over and under. Some people blame an enemy that you could kill with your words. So you're bl blaming a problem that you could fix with your words, with the things that you're speaking, the things that you listen to. Proverbs 18, 21, um, it's where it says life and death is in the power of the tongue. Message Bible words like this, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. 
Well, either poison or fruit, words, you choose. Right? You get to choose. So my question for you today is, what do you choose in life or death, Jesus or law, hope or depression, love or hate? The power is in your words, the words that you speak. But also, I want you to think about what you're listening to. What words are you listening to? What's coming through that transistor radio holding up to your ear? Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So speak what you hear until you see what you say. Stop allowing what you are looking at to determine what you hear. David was seeing things through a covenant lens. He said, the uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, David was saying all the Jewish boys, they got circumcised at eight days old. David was saying, I have covenant with my God. That uncircumcised Philistine, he doesn't have covenant with the living God. And I've been more powerful than him since I was eight days old. I've been in covenant with something way bigger than him. I'm attached to something much bigger than this giant. The focus was right. So worship team, if you would come back up. Well, I'll give y'all seven and eight, the last two. Worship team, come on back. Um, number seven, David was determined. And, and we hit on this with the five rocks. If I miss, I got four more shots, right? I can't give up. If I fall down, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to stand back up. If that rock doesn't work, then, then I'm going to get another one. And, and some of y'all give up after one try. I get I, I have people some of you sit in my office and talk to me and you say I don't know why it didn't work I don't know why I couldn't fix my marriage we went to counseling one time you only had one rock I'd be sweet if it worked but it didn't so guess what get another rock go back well I didn't get drunk one night cool don't give up if you if like you didn't beat the addiction after one try. Giant slayers are determined. You want to be a giant slayer and see the giants in your life fall, you got to be determined. You can't give up after one try. You can't give up after one rock. You can't quit or you won't see the giants fall. You've got to be determined. Most people don't fail because of lack of education or a lack of finances or a lack of talent or a lack of, I could go down a huge list. Most people fail. In my opinion, it's just a lack of determination. They give up. They quit. They stop trying. In Ecclesiastes Remember where it's telling us about all the different seasons in life. The wisest man, Solomon, he wrote this book and he's telling us all the different seasons and a time to laugh and a time to cry and a time to plant and a time to reap and a time to mourn. It tells us all that. And if, if you go look at it, it tells us 28 seasons in life, the 28 different seasons that we could be walking through. And I looked all through there 
And there's not a season to quit. Not one. Never once does it say, and Solomon didn't say, and there's a season to give up. There's a season to throw in the towel. No. Not once. Okay, cool. You can preach about it and, and stand up here on the stage, but what happens when the giant comes to your house? Right, that's when it really matters. What happens when the battle comes to you? When the giant shows up at your house and kicks open your door and spits in your face. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about. What happens when it shows up in your marriage? See, what happens when a drink with friends turns into full-blown alcoholic? What happens when looking at pornography here and there creates a pervert that loses his family? What happens when a lie here and there becomes dishonesty and then nobody trusts you and you have no real relationships? What happens when a little bit of gossip turns into bitterness and hate towards one of God's kids? How do you feel if somebody badmouths one of your kids or hates one of your kids and always is running their mouth about them? You probably don't like it probably makes you mad what if it's another one of your kids it would probably break your heart like what happens when a simple vape becomes weed and then weed becomes heroin and and you look around and you can't get out what, what happens when a giant grabs you what happens when a giant comes to your house and you feel like a failure? You got to be determined. And the last one, number eight, you got to take it home. David took the head and David took all the weapons. And he put the weapons in his tent. And the way David took that head off and he took those weapons and he put them straight in his tent makes me think he probably had a bear tooth necklace and a lion skin rug. Trophies, reminders of past victories, of battles that he had won. He took it home. so cool you come up here and you got victory in church but now I'm telling you as we close out the service you need to take it home giant slayers don't just get victory in the worship service awesome your giant probably didn't kick your butt in the last hour while you've been in church service I hope not if it did he's big and ugly and he can still fall but for the most part, you probably, he probably didn't get you right here. But you got to take it home. You set up reminders of who you are. You preach to yourself.
You use illustrations. That's what David had. He brought home the, the weapons, the sword. He, he brought home the head. He took the head with him. And then we see that he took the head to his tent, and then when he traveled to Jerusalem, he put it up on the hill, and, and most of the scholars believe that's what became Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified because David was a picture of Christ. Goliath of Gath, Golgotha, that's where they came up with the name. And that's cool, but for the first part, David took that head back to his tent. He took it to his house. And this is how we know for sure that David wasn't married yet. We know he was still a single dude. He was bringing a dead head in the house. But he knew there was power in the reminder that giants will fall if I focus on my God. You're under authority, disciplined. You're same in the dark as you are in the light. We shout, we praise, we thank God before and after the giant falls. You got to be who you are. Focus on God and the prize. We're determined. We don't give up. And then we take it home. All right. Y'all go ahead and stand up. I'm going to ask you. We don't, we don't do this often. And, and if, you need, if you need some prayer, you want some prayer, that's fine. But... I'm going to ask you that if you have a giant, if there's a giant in your life, and I'm not going to give you the microphone and let you talk about your giant, we're not going to glorify the giant because the giants are going to fall. And we're not going to spend long. We're going we're gonna to sing through this song a little bit. And I'm going to ask you if you have a giant in your life that you want to see fall, that you take a step of faith just walk down here to the front and that's you saying I've got a giant and I'm going to stand up to it and I'm going to see it fall and that maybe maybe you've got almost all of these right but there was just one of the eight that I said today that you realized ah that's why he keeps beating me ah that was it but I believe that God showed me when I was studying this that a lot of giants were going to fall so like I said we're going to sing through it and if you've got a giant in your life that you want to see fall, you can just come stand anywhere, anywhere along the front while we sing through this song. And then I'll close you some prayer. Pulling down the armor that doesn't fit. Let Ben stand out with our I'll let you fight for me Mountains look strong and calm from there But you won't no loss your kind of death I'll let you fight for me I'll let you fight for me With my swing and stone every jump let my faith rise tall in the battle. I see victory as you cover me. You're my undefeated king. 
ocean came over me The God of peace crushed my enemies I let you fight for me I let you fight for me The battle I'm facing's already been won No reason for you have gone before I let you fight for me I let you fight for me yeah. With my swing and stone every giant in my face, Christ all in the battle. I see victory as you cover me. You're my undefeated king. With my swing and stone, every giant fall in my face. Christ all in the battle. I see victory as you cover.
the walk are you walking in victory are you walking in victory no i'm walking in victory walking in victory yes i'm walking in victory yes i'm walking in victory circumcised Philistine he was talking about the covenant the covenant with God was that was their mark was circumcision and when Jesus came to the cross he faced every battle that we'll ever face and every sin and every giant and every problem and Jesus defeated it death sin hell the grave Jesus took the keys took power and control Jesus defeated your giant and then when Jesus came back remember he still had the scars the sign of the covenant, the symbol of the covenant. He showed them to Thomas. And you know, one day we'll be able to look at them in heaven if Jesus, Jesus kept those scars as a sign of the covenant that he's cut with you, his sons and daughters. And I believe that all over this room we've seen victory today. And we're going to take it home. We've seen victory because the battle was won on our behalf. And we are giant slayers.
and every giant that comes against us must fall. So we're going to pray, and then we'll end it with a shout for the victory. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for speaking to our hearts and our minds. God, we thank you that you won the victory for us. No matter what we've done or where we've been, that there is grace and mercy. And no matter how many times this giant has beat us, that it will not rule us and it will not make us its slave. It will not enslave our children and our people because today we will let the spirit of the living God, the God of the angel armies, will rise up on the inside of us and we have seen our victory. And once we have seen our victory, we cannot go back. We will not go back. But we will rely on you. We will trust in you. And even if we fall, even if we mess up, that's okay. Because we're going to keep filling our pouch. And even if I miss with one rock, I got another rock. And I'm not going to give up. And I'm not going to quit. And I will see every giant that comes against me fall. Because the power of my God lives inside of me. And a giant won't stop me from being who and what I'm called to be. And my people, I declare freedom over us in this hour and in this church and now we shout as we pursue the giant